This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Giants and and other people called Facebook throughout the UK. Uh, it was no other than Mr. Adam Keith, and um, we've got him tonight. Obviously, it's been a a, um, a a couple of weeks for you, Adam. Well, ever since the league took the decision to shut uh, shut down, pretty much been in isolation aside from uh, a few essential trips. Um. Aside from that, just kind of working from home and uh, making my phone calls to the players was pretty abrupt ending, so we had to kind of immediately change our focus to getting all the players home, which, uh, you know, credit to Steve and and Shane Johnson and and the office staff for getting the players all home uh, as quickly as possible. And basically, I think at, at times like this, everybody wants to be close to their families or in a, in a place they feel comfortable, and uh, it was important that we got the guys home as quick as possible. Well, we, we want to have a conversation with you about the whole Adam Keith story. I'm taking you right to when you first got a pair of skates on as a youngster in Toronto, and and do you, do you remember those days? Do you remember back to when you really just wanted to start skating and, and uh, put the gear on? I remember bits and pieces. I think uh, the old memory box is taking a hit since my playing days. But uh, you know, my father was the, was the, probably the one who's responsible for my brother and, and my career in terms of making sure we had enough ice time and making sure that we worked hard. And uh, he was a guy that you know would get up at five a.m. and take us to the uh, local arena and and give the Zamboni driver. Uh, a little bit of cash to kind of let us on the ice before anybody had shown up. So um, it was those types of mornings, early mornings, and the 
I guess the the cold days on the local pond that kind of shapes the work ethic and shapes kind of the love of the game at the time. I wouldn't say it was a love of the game because it felt like it would feel like uh, well, it feels like hard work, right? So it doesn't feel like a love of the game. But uh, you look back on those memories and and it's not uh, hard to to realize uh, where we where we built our foundation of hard work from, anyways. And obviously having your older brother, Sheldon, he's three or four years older than yourself, and, and having him to chase around, the, whether it's chasing around the rank or chasing around the pond, uh, that, that, you know, that certainly puts you in good stead as well. Yeah, certainly. I think he obviously had a four-year head start on me because he's four years older, but uh, just watching him play and uh, usually the way that the age groups work uh, back home in Canada are usually every – Every two two years or so, they the those those age groups will play on the same day. So we always pretty much play on the same teams, uh, the same organization. So we always play on the same day or practice on the same day. And uh, so it was one basically one trip for my for my parents. Um, well, because of that, I always got to watch him play or watch him practice. And, um, and then obviously, like I said earlier. You know the the one on one stuff on the on the ice with my dad or or on the pond. Uh, obviously, it was nice to have I guess uh, uh, somebody else there with you for those uh, skates. Was your dad a hockey player too? My dad actually never really played. Uh, he didn't play any uh, no professional or anything like that. He just kind of played. Uh, I guess uh, recreational hockey. Growing up, he was actually a basketball player and a soccer player. Uh, you know, amongst many other things, growing up in PEI, there's not uh, not a whole lot of local ranks, and there's not a whole lot of organization. It's much like it is here in terms of the ice. Uh, he would have had one ice pad where he grew up, and not a whole lot of leagues. So, um, but uh, obviously, he had a, a passion for the game, and then put us into it once he moved to Toronto and. Um, we're thankful for that. I think my brother would say the same because it's given us a life uh, in the game. Talking about, you know, growing up and, and starting to play hockey, what was your first hockey team? Uh, well, I grew up, my dad moved, my dad and my mother moved from Prince Edward Island to Brampton, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I think like 19 years old or 18 years old. And, um, so that was my first hockey team would have been in, in Bramalee, which is where I grew up. I played there for, I have no idea, probably three, four, five years. And then I'm, from there I moved to, to the Toronto League, which was just a bit more competitive and obviously kind of gets you noticed and, and you know, you're playing against better competition, the, the best kids in, in the Toronto area. And you, you talk about getting you noticed. You obviously yeah, were noticed pretty uh, prominently because you were drafted in the second round uh, of the OHL and went for the Sudbury Woods. 35 out of how many kids? Because, I mean, no offence, but, you know, 35 is pretty high. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I think I, I, I owe half of that to my brother's success before me in the OHL. He was uh, the OHL's leading scorer and rookie of the year. And uh, I think people were, were maybe looking at me in hopes that, that I'd replicate that. Uh, so 
didn't quite go to plan in in, in Sudbury. Uh, I did go there as a as an underage hockey player at 16, or um, I probably should have spent another year in in tier two junior A instead of major junior. But uh, you know, so be it. We went to Sudbury, and then I ended up getting traded to Kitchener, which is where where I really, uh, I guess formed and found out uh, what role and, and what type of player I needed to be to reach the pro uh, levels underneath Pete DeBoer and, and Steve Spott and Kitchener. Kitchener, your first full season, um, you get uh, a big trophy in your hands as a champion, uh, Memorial Cup. What, what's that feeling like, obviously, because you play with some really decent players um, in, in the four years that you spent in Kitchener as well? Yeah, I mean, Kitchener was a great, like I said, it kind of shaped the person I am and those coaches shaped the person and player that I am today. Um, but the players that I played with uh, throughout that time, I mean, some special names on there. To name a few from that Memorial Cup year would have been, obviously, Mike Richards, David Clarkson, uh, Steve Eminger, Derek Roy, and Greg Campbell. I mean, there's there's multiple NHL players that played on that team, and um, just to be, I guess, on a, I, mean, I, I played a fourth line role on that team, uh, just to be take a backseat to to watch that team do what we did uh, throughout the season and then into the playoffs, and then obviously through the Memorial Cup it was pretty special. No matter how big or how small a part uh, anybody on that team was of that championship, we certainly all learned a lot from that, and. Uh, it was a great team to be a part of and a great team to, to look back on and have some fond memories of. 18, 19, 20 years of age, uh, playing in the OHL. Give us an insight into what that's like. What How many times are you on the ice? What's your, your training regime? Are you working outside a lot as well? So I'm not working, no. There's no working involved there. I think uh, back then, players made $50 a week. Um, so you're basically getting your gas money. You get that plus your gas money. So there's no no real working. Guys are in school and, and they're playing hockey. So we practice around 3 o'clock every day. So everybody can go to school all day and then come to practice. Um, and practice every single day, I'm pretty sure, with maybe the odd uh, day off, but there wasn't many days off back then. And then you play your two games on the weekend. Um, and that was pretty much what it was, but uh, there's nothing like playing major junior or I'm sure junior A or uh, junior hockey in general. I think uh, it's kind of where guys learn to be adults and, and make mistakes and, and learn from those mistakes and, and grow into the pros that they ultimately become if, if they make professional or, or if they stop playing and, and become uh, adults. You learn a lot of lessons in, in those junior years. You talk about turning into an adult. Next season, you get the call for the CHL and AHL. Which way did that start out for you? Were you, you started like the Toledo and pulled up to Manitoba or was it vice versa? Uh, I was signed to Manitoba in that summer after my overage year in, in Kitchener. Um, and then I went to Vancouver's training camp. I had a pretty good training camp there. I played in an exhibition game against San Jose. Scored as well. No big deal. <laughs> uh, but I had a good camp and so I was sent to Manitoba there and 
I had another camp in Manitoba, and then from there I got sent down uh, to the Toledo Storm at that time, and uh, that was a, a heck of an experience playing in the old Toledo Arena. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that, but um, it was something like the BBT, uh, but uh, obviously a, a bit nicer than the BBT, but as small and, and much more crazy um, in, in that sense. The, the, the glass was about two feet tall around the entire rink. It was insane and just a great experience uh, for my first year pro and it suited me perfectly for that year. It's a, the ECHL at that stage is probably very similar to the standard in the EIHL. Is that a fair enough comment? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, well, if you look at the, the league, even today, I mean, most of the, the, the best players that come out of the ECHL uh, end up being best players, the best players in this league as well. So uh, I think we're pretty much on par with, with the ECHL. We're a bit older in the sense of we get maybe some players that, that uh, were a bit better than the ECHL level, but they're at the end of their career sometimes. Um, so you get a, we have a mix, more of a mixture in our league of experience and and, and talent, but um, in the ECHL you have a lot younger guys. Are probably I would say that that league's probably faster and and more skilled than our league, um, whereas our league probably has a bit more experience. You get the call, you get up to the AHL. Um, do you remember where you were and and what you were up to? And obviously you just are obviously excitement to getting called up to the American Hockey League. Yeah, uh, I don't remember exactly where I was or anything like that, but I remember I was in the middle of having a very good ECHL season. I was scoring goals, if you can believe it or not. Uh, I was it was hitting obviously and fighting, and uh, and if you like, I said if you've heard of the Cleveland Storm uh, and their arena, uh, it was quite the experience to be scoring and fighting every night in in that building and. Um, so when I got the call up to Manitoba, I was, I was obviously excited, and um, but things had to change in the sense of uh, my role completely changed when I went to Manitoba, and I pretty much was was there to provide a spark and a, and some energy for on the fourth line in Manitoba, and um, thankfully I did that, and I was managed to spend the the second half of the season with Manitoba. You through the, the season and, and the rest of the season Manitoba. The following year, again, started with Manitoba and you head off to Grand Rapids um, and you spent the next couple of seasons in Grand Rapids as well. Yeah, so the, that second year I started at Vancouver's training camp again. I didn't have quite as good a training camp as I did my first year. And I was sent down uh, to Manitoba and my after following the Vancouver camp and, and I, I uh, tore my MCL there in Manitoba at training camp and I missed the first probably two and a half months of that season. And when I came back, it was tough to get in the lineup uh, and I ended up getting traded to Grand Rapids where I kind of found a home there for about a year and a half. And then uh, I had a great experience there. So I was very lucky to play in Toledo, which is a great organization Manitoba, which was an awesome organization. Obviously, it's an NHL city now. And then Grand Rapids is is, uh, is up right up there, especially in the American League, with, with one of the best organizations. So I spent some, some time in my first couple of years in some great professional spots. 
you talk about your MCL, um, at that stage, you know, you're 22, 23 years of age. That's a that's a pretty big injury, even you know, 15, 14, 15 years ago. It's a big injury to, to have to battle through and get back to, to rehab, uh, you know, to, to get everything back the way you want it to be. How did you find that? Because I've done it myself and I know it's not easy. Yeah, it was a weird one. I mean, it was about two months of I was thankful to be in, in Manitoba for it because, you know, I was. Uh, basically working with the uh, fly trainer every single day and getting back to full strength. And also, when I became close to getting to full strength, they, they sent me for a conditioning stint to the Victoria Salmon Kings, which is where I made my first appearance with uh, somebody you might know, number 72, Daryl Lloyd. Uh played with Lloyder there in, in Victoria for two weeks. We played both. I think I ended up playing seven games there before I went back up to Manitoba. And uh, so that was another pretty cool experience to play in Victoria, which is a little island uh, off the coast of BC. And obviously the only, uh, at that point, it was the only Canadian team in, in the ECHL. What was your first uh, thoughts on uh, Darrell Lloyd? Wasn't actually my first uh, experience with Lloydy because I played uh, youth hockey versus Lloydy my whole way growing up. And I, what I can tell you is the Lloydy that we all know and love was he's been like that his entire life. Uh, from the time he was 13, when, when hitting was introduced to the game, he was skating like he was and, and finishing every hit and, uh, I remember he was always the captain of the Don Mills Flyers, and uh, so I always uh, had good battles against him from the time I was probably 14 or 13, and played played against him right up until the time that I played with him in, in Belfast. So um, I remember when Doug called me and told me he'd signed uh, Daryl Lord. I said, well, you remember I told you I'd probably have 15 fights this year? Well, that probably went up to about 30 now because you signed that guy. So, uh, <laughs> good, I have good memories of, of Lloydy, and obviously we've become good friends uh, since since playing here, and, and and we have a lot of good memories together. Darrell Lloyd, obviously, you know, you spent a little bit. We'll go on to talk about Darrell because he was obviously a big part of your uh, time in Belfast. But as a player and as an opponent, he must have been a real pain in the ass to play against his did you ever get to the possibility of fourteen year old to drop a gloves with? Not at fourteen, but uh when he was playing in Kalamazoo, I might have chased him around the ace a few times and I, uh, one time I got fed up with him and I did drop my gloves and start hitting him. One of his players ended up jumping me, so um he was always the guy that you know him. He's always been that guy and he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't have a stop sign. He just keeps going. So uh, when you're playing against him, you hate him. When you're playing with him, you love him. And uh, you know, it was something that I think if I would have had Daryl on my line, my entire pro career, I probably would have reached a higher level. He was that type of player that made me. He made me a more impactful guy, and um, it was a great duo to have. And obviously, when you add in a guy with the brains like Mark Garside. Uh, he took care of us, and he was. Uh, it was a great line to be a part of that line for our time here in Belfast, and obviously remain good friends with both of those guys. Well, we're going to come on, lad. Don't worry, there's plenty of time left here. 
you talk about dropping the gloves with um, with, with Daryl, but you've played with and you've played against guys after that. I mean, for argument's sake, you played with Boris Felipe, um, and then you met you, you up against him when he was at Coventry. Mindset, two guys doing the same job. I mean, as, as friends as well. How, how did that come for you? Was it easy for you to... Uh, obviously, you're just protecting your teammates at that stage, but it's tough to punch a friend, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, I'm not going to lie and, and pretend like most some tough guys will tell you it's just business, but, I mean, it's awkward for sure when you're up against somebody that you know and, and you like them. Um, but throughout the course of a hockey game or the course of a hockey season, things are going to happen and throughout the game, especially that uh, it's a man's game. I mean, you're going to have to answer for some of the things you do and, and things get heated and it doesn't change anything uh, or doesn't take anything away from the respect for for each other. You just kind of, uh, we realize that uh, sometimes, sometimes you're going to end up uh, clashing on the ice and, you know, and it's the same thing in, in practice. We've seen plenty of practice fights. And, you know, guys are competing on the ice. And, and sometimes things boil over and it gets handled. And then they go back uh, to being friends and going for a pint. So uh, it's no different in a game when you're playing against ex-teammates. You hope that you don't have to fight them and you don't want to fight them or you don't want to get in, involved in conflict with them. But uh, throughout the course of a game, sometimes it happens. ECHL, AHL, and obviously your time in the EIHL. Was there one person that you just hated coming up against? Um, through junior, it was Cam Jansen. Uh, I never liked playing that guy. He was an animal, especially in junior. He was uh, he was a men versus boys in junior, and. You know, obviously, I answered the bell every time I had to play him, but uh, he certainly wasn't a fun guy to fight. He was a bit too strong for me. So when he got to Nottingham, it was nice to to get him again when I was, uh, I guess, a man. So, um, but he was a guy that I always had respect for, and um, he was well feared in in junior hockey, anyways. And obviously, yeah, they went on to have a great uh, pro career as well. Uh, throughout the time there, I'd say the one guy, and there's probably many guys that put a bit of fear into me, but the one guy that sticks out uh, is uh, Steve McIntyre. Uh, I played against him a few times in, in the American League, and he might have been the one guy that when I lined up beside him, I, I tried to look the other way and not not, not make eye contact. You know? He was a six foot five, two hundred and I don't know how heavy he was, 240 pounds of, and he's a lefty that can knock you out. So, yeah, all the things that I did not want to go up against. After a stint in San Antonio, you get back to Toledo. Uh, you've obviously talked about your passion about Toledo, uh, Storm, and obviously then the Walleye. You get another chance to, to play in front of loose fans for another well, 50, 60 odd games. Yeah, well, when I talk about the how lucky I was as a pro and, and I'm still lucky to till today. Um, you go from Toledo to Manitoba to Grand Rapids, then the San Antonio. Uh, I touched on all those other teams, but San Antonio 
we're, we're talking 80 degrees and sunny and I'm going to practice and uh, shorts and flip-flops and uh, playing in an NBA arena. I mean, it was a, it was a great experience as well, much different than playing in all those other cities that were hockey cities, but um, it was pretty fun playing in a, a climate like uh, Texas as well. So I spent a year and a half there, I think, or, and then it was from there, I, from there, I actually signed, uh, well, I played a couple games with Phoenix in exhibition, uh, through there, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then from those times I was after my last season in San Antonio, I was a free agent. So I signed with the Florida Panthers as a free agent or on a PTO. Pete DeBoer was my old coach there from Kitchener. And, uh, from there, I, I played six exhibition games with them, which was an amazing experience, flying around on private jets, all all the road games there. And then I ended up uh, dislocating my shoulder and having surgery on my shoulder, so I missed six and a half months there, which is why I ended up in Toledo. Uh, Toledo, thankfully, took me in probably two weeks before my shoulder surgery or, or I was due to recover from my shoulder surgery two months before that, sorry. So I could, you know, start getting back into shape and start getting paid again because I wasn't getting paid. So, uh, that's how I ended up back in Toledo. And at that point, Toledo had kind of, I guess, uh, they had built a brand new arena and they had rebranded as the Toledo walleye. And I wasn't sure how that, that change was going to be since I was there at the old arena and the Toledo storm. But, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. The arena is beautiful. And, uh, they went from 3,500 fans to 8,200 fans. And, um, the atmosphere changed a little bit, but, uh, it, it was a great one regardless. And, uh, still to this day, they're, they're probably the best organization that I know of in the ECHL. ECHL. AHL, you know, it's, it's the U.S. and Canada is a big, big place. Give us an insight into what it's like, obviously, for, for traveling on a bus. I mean, you talk about, you know, taking the coach there from um, flying over to, to England and then obviously traveling two hours, maybe three hours on a coach. It, it really, I think all these guys that come to the U.K. should be well used to doing that, um, apart from maybe uh, Paddy Gordon and Jim Bondemir. But, you know, you've got all these guys that, that come in, from the ECHL, they're used to this travel. They're used to, to doing what they do in the states. And um, but how tough is that on the body as well? Um, you know what? We don't know uh, at that time. You know, you've already been through junior, whether or not it's major junior or just junior or, or college. Uh, guys are used to the bus and they're used to the travel. You just you just get on with it. Um, my second stint with, with, uh, well, my second stint with, with Toledo and with Grand Rapids there, both, cause I, I had two stints with both of those, t- those clubs. Um, they had sleeper buses on the second stint, uh, where you get into your bunk and basically have your own little TV or your laptop or whatever you have. Uh, and you watch a few shows and you fall asleep and you wake up and you're on eight hours later, you're in, uh, completely different state and you're getting, you wake up and you go for breakfast and then you go for pregame skate and you play your game. So, 
Uh, well, it might sound crazy. I didn't mind it at all. No, at least the times I had a sleeper bus because you you get your own little bed and uh, it wasn't a big deal to me. So if you can imagine. When I was coming over here to Belfast, Doug told me we probably have the worst travel in the league. I just want to pre-warn you on that. Um, so when I came here and, and basically saw that our travel was not that bad at all, our worst travel is probably uh, a ferry and a bus ride to Fife or Dundee, which uh, would be about a two-and-a-half-hour ferry, and then a three-and-a-half-hour bus ride. Uh, it's nothing compared to... You know, the, um, I think we used to do eight to 10 hour bus trips overnight, uh, with Toledo and Grand Rapids. That call from Doug in 2011, um, was there anybody else concerning you? Toledo, and that's about it. Um, no, I was actually in the in the process of signing back with Grand Rapids that summer and the GM was fired from by Detroit and Detroit decided they didn't want me back so I ended up with uh, no job late in the summer and I was planning on signing back into Toledo which which uh I would have been perfectly fine with because I love Toledo uh, I love the city I love the organization I love the coaching staff I was very happy there um that being said when I got the the message from Doug about Belfast, um, I do have some Irish heritage and just a place that I'd always want to visit. And obviously I'd heard about Theo Fleury, uh, his experience over here. And um, it just seemed at the time I was kind of a bit irritated with my situation with Grand Rapids. And I think that at that point, uh, I remember to reaching out to my coach in, in Toledo, Nick Fatuzzi, and and telling him that I'm I'm thinking about gonna go I'm gonna go over to the UK league and play for the Belfast Giants and uh, I remember his words to me were you should absolutely do it and it's great for it'd be a great experience but make sure you come back here the next year um, and that's something I to be honest with you I planned on doing that I planned on finishing my career in Toledo. That's how much I loved it there, and I love, like I said, I love the coaching staff, the organization, and the city. Um, but when I got here, after my first year here, it was uh, it was tough to leave. Your first year, you come up with thirteen league goals. What's that all about? Well, if you go back to my first year pro in Toledo, I think I was on pace for twenty or thirty goals. So. Uh, back in the day, I used to be able to score when I was about six or seven years old. So there was somewhere, it was there uh, at some point, but uh, it was certainly never the forefront of uh, my mind for what I thought I brought to a hockey team. All right, let's get on to the, the, uh, the Belfast Giants story for it. Obviously, you, you played for the Cubs as well. You played for your seven third seasons, and then um, the first one, you win a trophy, a league league champion. Um, you you start that reconnection again with Daryl Lloyd. What's your? I mean, obviously you've got to have a couple of funny stories about Daryl Lloyd in Belfast. Like, well, there's. I'm not sure I could tell them on this podcast, but uh, there's a lot yeah. of funny Daryl Lloyd stories. Um, I would say mainly just uh, uh, he was a constant. Uh, the reason why the fans loved him is probably the reason why his teammates loved him on the ice is you're always uh, 
you're always entertained watching him from the bench. You're always, always entertained being on the ice with him. And uh, I remember probably uh, half the time I was on the ice, I spent watching Loiter just to make sure that he, he wasn't getting jumped for something he did. So um, I always had to have an eye on the puck and an eye on Lloydy to make sure that nobody was, was, was getting after him. So it was, uh, it was good fun. And obviously off the ice, uh, we had a lot of fun as well. You talk about the standard in the ASL 2001, the chance two top points was Craig Peacock and Robert Guy. What was your view on the standard of the GB players or the, the, the Brits at that point? Obviously, in the position that you are now as an assistant coach, was your, was your view back then they were better than what you thought they were going to be? Well, my view is like, uh, the top level British player is a great hockey player, and and they're they're very capable of playing at the ECHL level, probably even the American League level, as a few of them have proved. Uh, obviously, it's a bit harder because you got to go there and you got to pay your dues, like like North Americans do uh, through the ECHL level, and uh, it's never easy there because there's a lot of there's a lot of hockey players. You got to you end up getting healthy scratched and having to wait for your opportunity to get in the lineup. So it's tough to, it's tough to make a living. It's tough to, uh, to climb the ladder over there in North America. But, you know, when you come here and you, you see the players, uh, the, the top level British player is, is not that far off or not far off or, or is on par with, with the players in the ECHL level. So I wasn't surprised when I seen the likes of, of our British players here and, in Belfast, and obviously the, the other top players in, around the league, uh, they were as good as imports, and um, which is why you've seen probably, I guess, the, the separation between the teams that had all those top British players back then, and, and uh, there was obviously less imports to go around back then as well, so you, there was a real separation uh, from the top three, four teams to the bottom teams. Talk us through your first season and coming out with that thing. Well, I think first and foremost, uh, I got to hand a lot of credit to Doug Christensen for just making the team understand. As a lot of new players, there are a lot of North American players making making the team understand what uh, what this league is all about. Uh, because you know, back home or anywhere else in the world. You're, you're just trying to make the playoffs and then you're trying to play well going into the playoffs so you have a good playoffs to try to win the trophy. Whereas here in in the UK, you're you're fighting all year long for first place. So um, as players, they come in and sometimes think a game in, in September is not that important or a game in October, is, if you lose, it's not that big a deal. But... Uh, as a coaching staff, and certainly since I've become a coach, you really learn that uh, those are some of the biggest fights that uh, are the biggest obstacles you have with a team is trying to get the entire team to kind of realize that we're in playoffs here year-round. And uh, as as uncomfortable as that may feel, it's the team that figures it out first that uh, finds that consistency throughout the season that whoever figures it out uh, the most is obviously going to, at the end of the year, they're going to be league champions. So 
Uh, I thought Doug Christensen did a good job uh, from my own personal memories of making us aware that uh, what we needed to do to win the league and how important the league was. And it wasn't easy, and there was a lot of trying times throughout that. Uh, but the, the core group of players that we had there, that uh, is the that that team is probably the reason that I'm still here today. Um, just my experience with that team, uh, it was so much fun and uh, to be rewarded at the end of the year with the league trophy, uh, it felt awesome. And uh, I learned a lot of things that year about myself and, and, and how to be a winner. That That's probably the reason why I keep wanting to be here and keep chasing trophies. Obviously, my second year, I met my wife and uh, that's the main reason why I'm here full time. But uh, certainly... Second uh, is the Belfast Giants, and 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 like I said, that first year is responsible for setting me up. Uh, I guess for for wanting to be a Giant for life. There's always characters in every dressing room, every single season. Uh, your second year in Belfast, you're the leader of the group. You're handed the captaincy, um, and then your teammates like Davy Phillips, uh, Collins gets to Belfast again after a couple of years away. Um, Kevin Surratt joins. Midway through the year as well, but uh, what's your what's your first thoughts on that crazy horse, Davy Phillips? Yeah, uh, he's one of a kind, that's for sure. Um, Davy's a is a. I actually had Davy as a teammate in Toledo, uh, if you believe it or not. So he's Davy's one of those guys who signed in the American League and he played the uh, a good number of games in the American League as well. So you know. Me going back to saying the British players are are able to play in the ECHL in the American League. It's just obviously a lot harder because there's a lot more hockey players over there. So, um, but I did play with Davy in North America, and then when Davy came back here, uh, he was great for us. And he was a a real character in the room that kind of brings everybody together. And uh, in times when maybe throughout the season guys kind of can get just you know down or just bored or tired or whatever it may be, Davey's the guy that can uh, bring out a, a good laugh out of the team and uh, remind everybody that uh, this is a game and, and we're playing for fun here. So uh, he, he really lightened the, the load in the room. And uh, obviously, if you watch him play, he's uh, willing to put his body on the line for the team. And uh, so he was a great character, but certainly he's one of a kind uh in terms of personalities that I've ever met. You win the conference that year. And, you know, you, you talk about teammates that, you know, you, you make friendships for life. Um, when you win championships, you, you've, you've, you know, it's family. Um, but one of the guys I've always heard you speaking very fondly of over the years in Belfast is Kevin Surratt. Yeah, I still, I still pretty close with uh, Sauce and, Obviously, you know what when he left here uh, wasn't on. Uh, I didn't like the in the way that he left because he was injured the year before and he had a tough year. And, um, I wanted him back for another season. His body wasn't uh, holding up, and so when he left, you know, you, you kind of wish him 
uh, all the success in the future, and and obviously I kept in touch with with Sauce, and I, you know, one of the things you, you usually say to people, and it does seem to to ring true for the most part. Um, good people land on their feet, and uh, Sauce is a good person, and he certainly has landed on his feet, and he's now the commissioner of uh, the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, and. Uh, he's going to do a great job there, and uh, I don't, uh, I don't see this as being his last step in in the ladder of of hockey. I think he's going to continue to climb, and um, I don't think you've heard the last of Kevin Surratt. Next season, another championship, another league title. Uh, Paul Leary coming to Belfast for the first time one season. What was Paul Leary like in the room and, and as a coach? Um, well, first of all, just to finish on that second season, I think that second season, uh, uh, just going back to Kevin Cerati, was probably the MVP of the league that year uh, with his character and his passion. But uh, that year, had Nottingham not had the team they had, I think we would have won everything. Uh, Nottingham had brought in a couple pieces that kind of put them over the top and we were we had we had trouble kind of beating them and um they won the triple that year and uh, i think we were second to them and pretty much everything so um that was a tough year to take and it certainly set us up for success in that third year under paul ad which when paul came in uh i think paul was just kind of a calming influence on us he was very calm and and collected and uh, he let the players play he, he didn't change a whole lot he, he set lines from the start of the year he set uh, systems in place from the start of the year and he let the players go and uh he probably had probably what i say uh, and he may disagree but maybe the easiest year as a coach somebody may ever have had because that team was so good and we just kept going and uh, it felt like as a player that we never really ran into any adversity uh, until the playoffs. Uh, I think um, we seemed to not get many injuries. And we we obviously, in terms of the league, we, we kind of ran away with that. But, uh, you know, the Challenge Cup preceded us, and, and as did the playoffs. So it wasn't a perfect season by any means. Uh, and I'm sure if I had talked to Paul, he'd probably say, you may have thought that was an easy year, but you guys were a handful to deal with, so who knows. But um, that was a great hockey team, obviously. Uh, I think any time you, you win the league in February, uh, it's a very good hockey team. You, you talk about the year, you know, Kevin Surratt, Dustin White, Cotton, uh, Evan Chevrolet, or Chevin Evers, I used to call him. Um, you know, Robbie Sandrock is here at the time. Uh, your good friend, Jeff Mason, Calvin Alfring. But one of the guys that you played with back in Kitchener turned up back in Belfast again with Jeff Swayze. Um, what was Swayze like as a, as a junior player? I only played with Swayze or his, his overage year, so he was 20 and I was 17. I played with him for half a season, so I didn't get to know him uh, a lot, but he was pretty much like he was the rest of his pro career. He was like a men versus boys. He was just a big body that skated well, uh, controlled the puck well. Uh, he had that finishing touch. He could make plays. He was tough. He was physical when he needed to be. Um, so you could tell that he was going to go on and have a good pro career. And 
Uh, he was going through his pro career as I was there later, a couple years later. And so I was following him quite close, closely. And uh, he's certainly a player that had one or two things been a little bit different in, in his career path. Uh, he certainly would end up in the NHL. I think he was, he was that good. And um, I guess, thankfully uh, uh, for Belfast sake, uh, he ended up in Belfast and uh, was a big part of that championship there. Derek Walter comes into Belfast. Um, you go through a couple of takes. Probably, is it fair to say you underachieved? Not personally, but as a group, you underachieved for um, a couple of seasons that, that maybe say between four and uh, 2017. Well, you skipped one. You skipped Steve Thornton's year. Oh, I saw it. That's right. Forgot about him. Yeah, so, uh, I think. That Paul eighty year, I think uh, everything had kind of went so easy for us that we had kind of, I shouldn't say easy for us because we only won one of the three trophies, but in terms of the league, it went pretty well for us. And uh, we didn't change a whole lot going into the second season. Uh, we had some key injuries early on there and uh, some things didn't go well for us. So it was that's, that year under Steve was a tough one. Uh, and I had... I touched base with Steve throughout the entire year uh, just on the whole struggle that we were having. And um, you fell for Steve in that year as well, coming in and, and having uh, your general manager leave and Todd Kelman to go to, <laughs> to go to your, one of your rivals and, and basically leaving Steve to, to take over the entire reins, not just being the coach, but also having to be the general manager and, and, and learn on the job. Uh, it was a tough year for Steve, but uh, I thought he did a great job. Um, I think we were a couple injuries away from, from being where we needed to be that year. Um, at the same time, I think we had a great core group throughout those three years previously uh, that was all getting older. Uh, you know, and, and I'm the first person to admit that, uh, I think, because uh, I was part of it. And, you know, when we're all having fun and, and we're good core, at the same time, you're getting older and, and your body's failing you a little bit. So uh, you're you're getting a little bit worse every year. And I think that that, that all kind of came to fruition in that year. And uh, I think we you've seen some, some turnover uh, in the years following that. And that's probably as a result of, of that season, I think. Um, that's it. Derek Walzer comes in, as I say, he gets you on board as a player assistant coach, um, makes a couple of moves throughout the year, and again, injuries throughout the year, ended up with uh, your line mate having to go back on defence as well, and and um, he's done a pretty good job, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, who, who knew uh, Gary would play with me and Lawyer and then end up a defenseman? Um, but... Uh, no, I think with, with Walser coming in, uh, he was a a high pedigree kind of guy, a great defenseman that was going to come in and, and run the team. And um, not to say that Steve couldn't have come in and, and and done a great job as well, but I think Steve was obviously focusing on being a general manager and and wanted to bring in a, a new coach to take over the reins. And uh, he certainly got a great player and one of the best players maybe we've seen, or especially one of the best defensemen that we've seen in Derek Walser. Um, I don't think we, we got to see the best Derek Walser as a hockey player because 
something I've learned since I've started coaching is it's a lot of work and uh, whether or not it's physically or mentally, but uh, I couldn't imagine being a player as well uh, as, as doing this job. So uh, that's kudos to, to Derek for, for doing the job that he did on the ice and off the ice. Uh, and obviously he's gone on to have a, a pretty good career in, in the OHL. So, um, but that's that season there. I think uh, again we we were in the fight, but uh, didn't win anything. And, and you know, in, the, in a tough environment like Belfast, uh, we judge our seasons on winning trophies. And um, although we thought we were in the fight for those those two years, we, we ultimately didn't win anything. And um, but we were certainly you know, right there uh, for those trophies, right to the end. And uh, again, a lot of good times and a lot of good memories there and a lot of good lessons as well. You talk about your transition from uh, player to coach. Um, the relationships that you have from teammates to basically your boss, how difficult did you find that transition? Well, my first year coaching I had uh, quite a few players that I played with uh, on the team and um, you know I guess it's not ideal to have players you played with uh, on your team that you're supposedly coaching but becoming a new coach as a rookie uh, coach I I thought that it really helped me uh, transition into that role and having leaders like Blair O'Reilly and uh, Jim Vandermeer, uh, amongst many other guys, you know, and you speak about uh, my my old linemate uh, Mark Garside and uh, what a job he's done, um, and obviously Stephen Murphy, guys I've played with for for many years, um, just to kind of know me and and be able to tell the players what type of person I am and. And, you know, because there's, there's a lot of things that go on throughout a year that uh, if the player doesn't know you, uh, maybe they perceive things a little bit different. So I thought that having those players in place um, to kind of be the go-between between me and, and the, the new players uh, certainly allowed us all to build a better relationship together. Looking at some of the players that you brought in that year, um, you know, Individually, was, you know, some really talented players. You talk about Sebastian Sylvester, Brandon Conley, Spiro, Blackhawks, Darcy Murphy, and, and obviously one of the ones that stands out for me is being top notch and the time that he spent in Belfast with Steve Sabiano. But putting that group together and going down the line and, play, you know, doing all that traveling and coming out with a trophy, uh, as in the Challenge Cup, and your, and your, a trophy that eluded you for in your playing career um, against all odds um, I'm sure as a as a coach as a, as a person as I know you are and then you try and play it down but that must have felt great yeah no it certainly did feel good especially it being the challenge cup that like like you just said there it eluded me as a player in a lot of heartbreaks in terms of uh, going up into the sec, going into the second leg, up a few goals and, and losing the lead to to drop that. I think that was in that that third season there when we'd won the league in February. I think we lost a three goal lead in Nottingham. Um, 
a tough lesson learned by us. And um, so to finally get our hands on, on the Challenge Cup, uh, it did feel special. And uh, more so, I think, as a coach, you, you're just proud of your group and, and really happy for them because, you know, it means a lot of their dedication, a lot of their efforts throughout the entire season pays off. And also as a fan base, you know, we've had, we had, uh, is it three, three or four years of no trophies. And, uh, so it was nice to see the, the fan base, especially the ones who made it to Cardiff. We got to see the, the immediate, uh, reaction and, and that was nice to see. And then obviously when we got home to see the, all the fans at the airport and, and obviously the home reception we got was pretty special. 2018-2019 season. Within the Challenge Cup, you get the opportunity to, to play the European competition. Um, two tough weekends. You know, you've got to play a lot of hockey in such a short space of time. Um, and that Continental Cup final, the width of a post, that's literally that's what it was from being a, a European champion. Well, yeah, you look back at last season and this is kind of the reason why I say, you know, Paul Eighty would probably say that, that well, it wasn't all it wasn't all daisies that year um, because last year there was a, we had a lot of not not problems but inconsistencies where you, you were wondering where we're going to win the league and all those things that uh, would have irritated you had we not won the league. Um, but looking back on the entire thing as a whole, you know, we were basically a post and a goal away from from doing the clean clean sweep uh, in Europe and domestically. So um, it was a pretty special season, I think, probably hard to argue, uh, probably the best season the Belfast Giants have ever had in terms of success. And um, it was a pretty special one to be a part of. And again, uh, being my only my second season as a coach, a lot of good lessons learned from both failure and from success as well. Uh, you know, those good lessons learned there. I was lucky enough to be calling the game against Ardon from the, the media box, and you know, I think it's fair to say I went a bit nuts when Dustin Johnner scored that game time goal, and I remember looking across the bench. Um, and that's as, ex- as excited as I've seen you on a bench. Um, at that, you know, obviously they, they being three 0 down, they get it back to two two. What was the what was that feeling like, coach? What was that feeling like as a, as leading those players and and obviously trying to get the winner heading down the in the last few minutes of that game? Yeah, well, it felt like it felt like the first period we came out and we played well in that game, but. If I'm mistaken, I think we were down 2-0 at the end of that period or maybe just 1-0, I'm not sure. But um just felt like they scored against the run of play in the first period and kind of took the wind out of our sails. And then the second period, they took it to us. And Besco kept us in that game. Uh So when we went in for the period break between the second and the third, it was all about uh, the belief in that dressing room. The players believed that they could get it done, and and the coaching staff believed that they could get it done as well. And uh, we had nothing to lose, being down to nothing, going into a, a period like that, and 
to see the first one go in and then to see Dustin John tie it up. It was probably, if I'm honest, you know, and I'm not sure if it's because of my bad memory or not, but maybe one of, well, certainly one of my best memories as a giant, if not, uh, if not the best. Um, and that's tough to say because we've had some real good memories there. Uh, I'd say if I had to, if you were going to hold me down and ask for one, it would probably be the night that we beat Sheffield in the back-to-back in my first season and won the league. That was probably my, my best memory. And I would say that Dustin Johner's goal in that whole game was probably my second best. And that's funny because it's coming uh, in a loss. So um, despite that loss, the effort and the comeback by the players was, was inspiring. We talk about that loss. Was that a instrumental moment as well, pushing on down the season? Obviously, you winning and retaining the Challenge Cup, and then the form that you had going in down the stretch in the league as well. And, and, and we all know what happened in the the, uh, the league um, with the Ben Lake goal, technically, and in the hotel. Yeah, I think. I think it was. I think it's certainly something the coaching staff tried to draw on uh, as an experience and a reason why we're going to win the league. Uh, we tried to use that experience and, and that. It, I mean, look, there that that uh, Continental Cup defeat was pretty painful for the group to to accept, and uh, obviously, as a, a coach going to that room after and just seeing the. Uh, just the pain on, on everybody's face, and um, it was just not a great feeling in the dressing room. And we wanted to make sure that we corrected that uh, the rest of the year, and uh, to see it pay off at the very last day of the season. Um, I just watched uh, somebody just sh- shared the the video of everybody celebrating in the hotel bar and uh, at the rather uh, was it the what's it called there Crown Plaza. Crown Plaza, uh, that was a pretty special moment, and and what a way to win it uh, with your fan base that uh, deserves it as well. So um, that certainly capped off a, a great season there, and then obviously we went into playoffs and we had a bit more heartache. So, uh, but as a whole, when you look back, uh, it was an unbelievable year and a great experience, and again, uh, friends made for life. We moved into this season. You started off with challenge. I started with CHLA. Um, in your second European competition as a head coach, but reaching the the top level of of, of ice hockey in the CHL, um, European hockey side, hockey wise, you must have felt pretty decent with yourself and Jeff Mason and Rob Stewart beside you going on to the bench for that first game against the Brits. Yeah, well, just actually, I mean, you touch on Rob Stewart, and he's obviously been with me since since I've been playing here and and been coaching here, and uh, he's been a massive help to me in my transition into a coach, and um, just a, a great sounding board, and uh, just uh, I guess a, a man full of knowledge of the game and experience in, in the game and both sides of it. So uh, he's been a massive influence on me and then this season to have Jeff Mason jump on board as a as a coach um he was tremendous this season I thought he really took uh he really took 
ownership of his role, and I thought he was great for me this season and great for the players, and uh, he did a great job. So it was great to have those two guys alongside me this season. Uh, to answer your question, though, going into the Champions League, just excitement. I think uh, it was our first time as an organization being involved in it, and you could sense the excitement amongst the fans and, and the players and, and the coaching staff and, and the management and everybody involved. I uh, was excited to get going, and you could obviously see that uh, in the first weekend at home, uh, the way the players performed. This past season, I know we finished abruptly. Um, is it, it is pretty fair to say that the most common word that you've used throughout the year is consistent? Yeah, I think if we had found some consistency, um, we would have been right there uh, at the time of the league closure, but... Uh, we were inconsistent for pretty much the entire season. And uh, it was pretty special that I guess we were still in the fight at the end of the season. So that that kind of gives way to how much parity there was in the league this season that, that everybody seemed to be losing. I think that you would have seen the, the number of points that it took to win the league uh, significantly uh, would have went down this season. Um, and it would have been one heck of a finish with the last six to eight games left for everybody uh, with the way that Coventry was playing. And uh, obviously Sheffield was very dangerous the year, this year and uh, Nottingham was a very dangerous team. So it would have been nice to see how we would have fared our last two home games versus Nottingham. And, and then we had two more versus Fife. And, you know, anything, uh, anything could have happened and it would have been nice to, to see it all play out. Um, there was a couple times there in the last month that our team showed so showed some fight back in the third period that uh, good teams, that's what they do. Uh, if they come in and they have a bad opening 40 minutes, the, in the third period they come back and they find a way to win that game. And uh, it did seem like in the last month we were trying to start to find ways to, to come back into games and starting to build that belief. And uh, that's what you need. And it would have been nice to see us finish out the season and see where we could have gotten in the league and then obviously into the playoffs. That's We've talked about the chance as a, as a coach. We've talked about chances as a, a player. Um, but as an individual, as, from a personal point of view, um, who if you had to pick up a line um, of players that you played with, I'm not asking you to do the ones you've been playing as a, as a coach, but playing with over your time at Belfast, um, who would you pick? Let's start with a goaltender. Uh, Actually, in that either Stephen Murphy and Andrew Dixon. Yeah, yeah. So you'd have to go with those two. I think um, you know what what Murph has done for the organization over his time here uh, is pretty special, and, and the first British goalie to win the league. All those things that that happened throughout his time here was, was pretty special. Obviously, I had a great relationship with him, so he would certainly be the starter. And you can't go look farther than uh, Andrew Dixon as your backup. Of you know the local Northern Irish kid who's taught me all the tricks of the trade, and uh, still remain good friends till today. And um, uh, on forward. As much as I'd like to say the, some of the, the best players I've played with in terms of, uh, you know, the Kevin Surrettes, the Patty Dwyers, the, uh, I might never play with Patty, but, uh, you know, there was 
multiple good players that came through uh, Belfast. I'd have to go with the white line, the original white line of me, Daryl Lloyd, and, and Mark Garside. Um, if I'm thinking back to, to the defensemen, I'd have to go with Robbie Sandrock and, and Jeremy Rebick as my two defensemen that I'd want on my line. Uh, two guys that were great leaders and, and great teammates um, throughout my time as a player. Uh, and obviously, Jeremy Rebick being the captain my first year, I learned a lot uh, about being a leader and just about being a better human from, from Jeremy and his family. You've talked about um, your success as a player and obviously, you know, Doug Christensen was a big part of that, is that bringing you in and winning your first season. Um, three Elite League Championship as a player, obviously. Is there anything that you look back on your team as a, as a giant or as a hockey player um, and have any regrets? Um, as a giant hockey player? No, 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 no. As, as, a, as a hockey player, forget about your coaching career. But as a player, is there anything you look back on and you just went, maybe you could have done that or how to just done this? Um, not really. I mean, I thought my first year of junior, I played underage. So I played as a 16-year-old in the OHL, which I got limited ice time and I pretty much just fought whenever I could. I thought that year I could have spent a, a tier two junior A, which means I would have played a regular shift and played all situations. I thought that that year meant I lost a crucial year of development, um, which could have helped me going forward. But again, that's just me hoping that that would, could have made a difference. Uh, certainly, I have no no regrets in the way my career has played out, and it certainly led me to Belfast and uh, a great career uh, uh, post playing uh, in Belfast. And I, I couldn't ask for anything more. You've talked about your dad. You've talked about your brother. Um, obviously, as role models for yourself. Anybody else that stands out for you who, that uh, you you want to try and emulate or take a lot of stuff from them into your coaching career? Um, my my junior coach Peter DeBoer. I thought uh, he was a guy that really had a lot of uh, a lot of say in the way that that I developed as as a hockey player and as a person and. Um, certainly taught me a lot of quality lessons that, that I take with me still to today. Um, so, so Pete, uh, I owe a lot to Pete DeBoer and uh, a guy I trust, I still uh, follow and uh, have enjoyed watching his career and his career path to the NHL. Um, aside from that, obviously, the main guy that I lean on would be my brother and uh, his the path that he's taken as a as a player to the NHL and being a small guy to make it to the NHL at the time that he did was pretty special and then to get his career cut short at the age of 25 and then to make it back to the NHL at uh, 38 years old is pretty special so um, he's I don't need to look any further than him for uh, for inspiration. 2020-2021 season, you've already touched on at the top of the chat about, um, you know, looking forward to, we just don't know what's going to happen here in the next, you know, few months with, with uh, the coronavirus, but how's your preparations going for that? Because obviously you're looking ahead. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, things are very uncertain right now, and um, that's just normal, I think, with the certain situation that we're in. But um, we have no choice but to proceed as normal and, and try to build a hockey team uh, that's going to have success in, in next season's Elite League. Well, I think that's just wrapped everything up for us, Adam. And, and look, I know we're, you're having a, a um, bit of isolation time to yourself at the minute. And, um, we just hope that everything pans out as quickly as possible and everybody's safe. And, and um, I really want to thank you for your time tonight. They've taken up probably far too much of it to, to, at the middle of the stands. No, thank you, guys. It's obviously uh, get my head off this little, uh, I guess, this big pandemic that we got going on. But uh, certainly want to express to the fans that uh, we're right there with you and um, everybody stay safe and take care of themselves. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys for the new season in uh, 2021. And hopefully uh, we're all uh, back to normal and enjoying our ice hockey. Well, that would be the end of it. Only I'm in a complete another tube. I don't care about Team GB. So we'll edit. We'll edit this bit in. Um, I'll get Davy and Pat this bit in for it. Um, Team GB. Uh, how did that come about? Did Peter Russell just reach out to you after your first year of uh, first start as the head coach at Belfast Giants? Yeah, it was uh, it was my first year as a coach and. Um, I'd obviously met Pete from coaching against him with Milton Keynes. Uh, and then about halfway through that season, uh, he reached out and, uh, just, we just started chatting back and forth and, and from there, uh, it kind of lent into, do you want to be part of, uh, the GP national team and, uh, assistant coach. I think that uh, him having two players that, that I've played with and coached uh, in being uh, Nick, Matt Nickerson and Jonathan Boxall. I think he uh, has obviously been speaking with them as well in terms of the type of person and, uh, and player that I was. Um, so I think that uh, right from the start, uh, me and Pete kind of hit it off. And um, certainly I, I, as, a, as a young rookie coach, uh, I certainly wanted to learn from a guy who's been coaching for a while and uh, the opportunity to be a part of the GB national team uh, was pretty special. And um, the run that they've been on, uh, it was nice to be a part of that as well. Your first year, uh, World Championship, pull uh, two, basically, or pull one double day or whatever it was. Um, uh, and you end up with a gold medal in that game, which I was lucky enough to get there. And, um, Coming out like gold medal like France in overtime was just absolutely sensational. Yeah, that was uh, we. You know what? Uh, there was a lot that kind of went uh, into that tournament, and then obviously throughout the tournament, it was it was a long one and a tough one uh, facing the teams that we were facing. Um, we went through a lot of trying times throughout that tournament. Um, so to see it come down to that final game that we, we probably uh, we would be lying if we say we didn't think that it would come down to that final game. Um, we did know that we wanted to keep building to that, uh, I guess, uh, as as um, as Pete called it, the peak end. 
uh, we wanted to peak at that at the end of that tournament, and uh, we wanted to use the all the experience that we got throughout that tournament, whether it was uh, the losses or the or the narrow de- the narrow defeats and, and everything that we learned throughout that, and just trying to get ourselves up to pace at the end of the tournament. And, um, you know, the way that that final game went from the timeout to to clawing back. Uh, three goals and then going into overtime and, and winning it uh, was pretty special and very happy for that group of players and uh, and everybody before them as well. I mean, obviously, I've been here for a long time now in in, in this league and have played with a lot of players that have been through the program uh, and knowing what it means to them. Uh, I was very happy for to be a part of that and, and to see them remain up in the pool that I feel that they believe or they belong to be in. Um, obviously this year we don't get to be a part of that, uh, with the cancellation, but, uh, they remain up there for, for the following year's world championships. So, uh, here's hoping that, uh, we can remain again. Just one final thing. Uh, you're playing team Canada. Oh, Canada comes on. Are you singing the national anthem? I wasn't. I actually don't even know if I was or not, but uh, I don't think I was. No, you know, I mean, you're part of a team and uh, you're focused on the moment. Although being against Team Canada, it was pretty surreal. And uh, to look over at uh, Elaine Vigneault and, and Kirk Muller and uh, see the, the the coaches we were coaching against and then the players that were on the ice, uh, it was pretty special. I think uh, it was a cool experience despite the loss. Um, and that's one of the that's one of the disappointing things of this this one being cancelled. We obviously would have had the exhibition game against Canada, and then another game against Canada uh, in the tournament. So, uh, but uh, you know, hopefully we draw them again in a year's time. Right, we'll just finish this off again. I'll get David to add it up. Adam, again, thanks very much for your time tonight. I know it's. Uh... It's been a frustrating couple of weeks for you, and obviously stuck at home, and and uh, a bit like myself, not being out and about. So, um, hopefully, I haven't taken up too much of your time, and and uh, we look forward to seeing you. Not at all, Simon. Happy to join uh, View from the Bridge, and uh, obviously get my mind off everything that's going on, and uh, and kill a kill an hour of my time here. So, uh, thank you for the call uh, to all the Giants fans. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe. And we'll see you at the new season, uh, and hopefully we can uh, be back to better times there and um, looking forward to another winning season. Sports Social Podcast Network.